Diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you go onto the website of any major company, you'll no doubt see a statement or even a video explaining what that company's policies are in regards to DEI. But can noble words actually be turned into effective action? Hi, this is Irene Silver with the Vanguard Network. And that question was at the heart of a recent forum we held for a group of select general counsels, the chief legal officers of major corporations. In the next 10 minutes, you're going to hear some of the highlights of their discussion. Tom Sabatino, a legendary GC for Hertz, Walgreens, United Airlines, and Aetna, now with Tenneco, was the co-chair for the forum. He provided his perspective on how important it is for GCs to host this conversation in their organizations. You know, this is an incredibly important topic. It's always been an important topic. I think it uh, goes without saying that it's uh, an even more important topic given the events of the last year or so. And I think that having the collective wisdom of all of the people on this from all the different um, angles and perspectives that they have is really critical. There's no easy answer to all this. It's going to be a whole lot of blocking and tackling and individual efforts by everyone. But if we all sort of move in the right direction and have the right mindset and the right inclusive attitude, um, then we'll make progress. If we don't have an inclusive attitude, then then we're going to struggle. And we should probably try to figure out if those of us on our who have teams uh, don't have inclusive people on it, whether they should actually still be on the team. At our virtual event, GCs were broken into three small groups for intense discussion. They were asked what practical steps have they seen that are working in regard to improving DEI. And they were also asked whether GCs should just tend to their legal department or whether they should take a larger role in regard to DEI and their companies. Carolyn Tsai, the Chief Legal Officer for Western Union, provides highlights from her group's discussion. I think collectively as a group, I think I would say that the GCs who chose to join this discussion uh, clearly uh, are very committed in uh, playing an important role in, in serving as a C-suite leader uh, to impact not only uh, momentum in driving change and inclusive environment in their companies, but also more broadly. We actually spent some time talking about uh, doing it in a thoughtful way. Uh, how do we balance um, driving that and, and, and making sure that uh, employees in particular, or even board members, um, you know, putting aside differences in, in, in politics and opinion, um, striking that balance where we don't in any way create environment. I, I spoke about this in particular in where we might have a concern where certain employees or other stakeholders feel like the, the conversation is chilled because um, the executive team and or the board um, is being um, very vocal about our commitment to uh, drive diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, there was discussion uh, about, um, I think what works generally is, is having that open, transparent line of communication with your employees and, and stakeholders. One of the um, outcomes of having GCs in the law department engage in this um, 
um, is, is that we find it to be um, incredibly positive from our employees in terms of their level of engagement and um, development. So that, that's actually a kind of a nice um, outcome. Um, when we lead uh, initiatives and, and the employees see uh, the difference we're making, uh, not only in our law departments more broadly to drive it within our companies and then the impact we make from an outside perspective, uh, we're finding as GCs that it really motivates and inspires our employees. Forum participants also heard from Joel Hamid, partner at Debevoys and Plimpton, who talked about his small group discussion. We had a great discussion in, in my group, so I'll uh, try to pull in a couple of ideas into the one one big uh, insight uh, rubric. I, I think there was a recognition uh, in the room that kind of filling an open spot on the team is one of the most sort of concrete and impactful um, actions that uh, GC can take to to drive uh, DE and I. And so when you're doing that, it's very important to be uh, on the one hand, you know disciplined and explicit about the criteria that you're applying uh, as a way of kind of fighting um, implicit bias. Um, um, but then also, you know, doing what you can to open the aperture of people that you are, you know, considering. Um, and uh, you know, if you uh, kind of have measurable goals in that regard uh, and are, um, you know, insisting on having diverse panels of people that are being considered for a position, giving that instruction to your search firms, you know, you're, you're much more likely to get, um, uh, you know, a diverse candidate pool. And then the evidence is, is pretty overwhelming that if you are considering a diverse candidate pool and you're uh, applying objective criteria to how you evaluate the people in that pool, you're gonna get results. One thing that I think uh, seemed to be a consensus in, in my breakout room was um, that it's really hard to push your agenda if you don't have your own house in order first. And so to be a, a credible um, change agent and a credible leader, um, you, you do need to uh, look at, at your own uh, organization and, and have that uh, uh, in, in good shape before you can push things elsewhere. Uh, but the other insight, uh, you know, that, that people talked about is the recognition that GC, you know, is naturally a part of the um, executive leadership team um, and sets an example uh, and the way you kind of uh, function in that role, how you set your example, how you call things out when you see them um, is, is a really important um, aspect of leadership. Finally. Participants at the forum heard from Ken Banta, founder and president of the Vanguard Network, about what his small group discovered. One very uh, significant thing that I think cut across everybody was the uh, criti criticality of rigor in this. Uh, for example, we heard uh, one company has had a goal of having diverse slates for, for a good period of time, but now it's required. And uh, that has made a huge difference in what really happens. And so that, that rigor, I think, is a kind of a leitmotif of what we talked about. Um, another element that I found uh, real interesting was um, uh, talking about the uh, importance of, um, of having the right, uh, sending the right signal through the suppliers that you use. So where you could hire uh, law firms, uh, one of the colleagues uh, made a point of going to an all women law firm 
which had tremendous quality and tremendous output, but it was a, you know, setting a stake in the ground uh, that you could easily have done it differently and go into a firm that you know, had some women on the, on, the, on, the, on the staff, but this was going to an all women firm. And as a male a GC, I think probably sent a tremendously important signal. Ken then asked Tom Sabatino to rejoin the conversation. You know, I think getting the right people in the right seats obviously is a critical first step. And all the all of the things that we've tried to do in order to encourage that um, and, and discuss this, and it's been discussed for the last well, little bit of time, are, are really important. But it's how you act when you have, when you think you have the right people in the right seats, when you've got a very diverse organization. It's how you treat the participants who are in that thing. And what I really focus on a lot is how do you make sure that the um, those that are either intentionally or unintentionally um, unaware of the barriers they are putting up to full inclusion by all members of the team are held accountable. Um, really making sure that you know the participant, every participant is has a has a voice in the process and is heard. Uh, and that to me has always been the biggest issue I've encountered um, is making sure that you 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 hold people accountable to that and call them out when you know they you know they give credit to the the male member of the, of the team and not the female one who actually came up with the idea in the first place. Uh, and I've seen that happen hundreds of times, to be honest with you, in, in big and small ways. And to me, that's kind of a critical element. Uh, just to amplify a couple of the comments that Tom made. Bob Bailey, who is general counsel at Ciox, jumped into the conversation. We as leaders, uh, we lead our teams, but we're also leaders within the organization. I think this notion of holding people accountable for those situations where, where they, uh, they fail to operate in an inclusive way, that accountability can be achieved through, through you know, actual correction, but also through education. I've had this happen to me and I've seen it work well in situations where, where, we, where we engage in unconscious or, or less than thoughtful activities uh, like, um, Selecting a uh, uh, selecting a venue for a fun event that is uh, sports related, which has has the effect of excluding uh, a group of people who, frankly, have less interest in that, um, and and doing that on a repeated basis. I think where I have been told, Bob, you know what that that's something that other people notice. Um, that is that has helped, and I've always told my team that uh, I want to know when my jokes aren't funny. And I've, I've always had people who are willing to tell me that. And, and, and I don't mean bad jokes. I'm, I mean, tell me the truth when I need to hear it. And, uh, and so I think opening yourself up as a leader in that regard helps tremendously because it puts you in a position to be held accountable through education. We should also do that with our peers uh, on the executive teams and also with, uh, with our teams, of course. Uh, so that's, that's one thought. I think the other, the other point I'd, I'd raise is that in many cases, we as leaders get to make choices and decisions and, and uh, independent. And so focusing on the external counsel piece of it for a moment, um, there is just a, a subtle message that gets sent when we, when we select an external counsel who, who is diverse in some fashion. Uh, and, and we don't need to make a big deal of it, but just do it. Get it done. Um, now, making a bigger deal of it and creating process for that is important. But just doing it for the first few times is actually something that will uh, will help significantly. And the last thing I'll say is, many of us are with big companies, 
And, and I, I should state the obvious, but it's not so obvious. And that is that, uh, that when we try cases defending our companies, um, it is often uh, the case that, that having uh, someone who is, just to be very clear, not a white male defending the company in front of a jury is more advantageous to the company. And so we as lawyers and as general counsels can make decisions um, that favor diversity and inclusion and are, and are in fact uh, significantly advantageous to the company in the way it presents itself in court. The final word at the forum was a small, practical piece of advice. It came from veteran GC Marianne Hines, now a senior director at Denton's. I think if we could feel a shared responsibility for the success of our minority colleagues and employees, that would make a huge difference. You know, you never forget anyone who did something really nice for you. So, you know, I think that goes a long way. And if we were to adopt that spirit, I think it would be very helpful. And we keep people a lot longer. Those were highlights from a forum on diversity, equity, and inclusion held by the Vanguard Network. The discussion was just one of the membership benefits of the network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about Vanguard, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silbert. Thanks for listening.